0: everyone dan cassidy here welcome back to top of the morning on the ubs market moves podcast channel for today we will continue our ongoing series of conversations on the emerging markets so joining us once again on top of the morning glad to welcome back alejo Zerwanko, the chief investment officer for emerging markets americas with the ubs chief investment office alejo great to have you back thank you for dropping by Looking forward to our conversation this morning.
1: Good morning, Dan. It's always so great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. It's very timely, Alejo, that you're joining our listeners today. I know your team recently released the latest Investing in Emerging Markets monthly flagship publication, the title for this month being In Between the U.S. and China. And you're also going to update us on the BRICS Summit, which is actually taking place this week. So plenty to catch our listeners, our clients up on. Maybe we can begin by reviewing economic conditions globally. What are economic indicators telling us as of late, DeLeo?
1: Absolutely, Dan. I'd say that when you take a look at cyclical conditions in some of the world's largest economies, we see a fairly hazy environment. It's really not clear what the near future may bring, and I'll walk you through why. Starting with the U.S., I think the data supporting the probability of what we call a softish landing has been accumulating in recent weeks. We've seen inflation moderate while activity indicators have come in quite honestly much stronger than expected. Now, at the same time, I think core inflation remains uncomfortably high in the US. The labor market is very tight. And so when we put it all together, uh, we're looking at a U.S. Federal Reserve that is likely to keep interest rates high for at least the rest of the year, which should in turn translate into below trend U.S. economic growth. Now, that's the baseline, but we gotta incorporate, consider alternative scenarios. A downside scenario where inflation remains very stubborn and this forces the Fed Not only maybe to keep rates high well into 2024, but maybe even raise them further. Think about a 6% handle. This needs to be contemplated as a possibility. At the same time, there's an upside scenario in which artificial intelligence breakthroughs allow the U.S. economy to enjoy a longer growth inflation, let's call it Goldilocks period. This cannot be ruled out either. Moving on to China. Our high-frequency data tracker reveals a pretty worrying picture. All sorts of indicators ranging from investment measures, consumption measures, external sector, money and credit, gauges. These are all delivering negative signals. I think the silver lining here is that China's top leaders have meaningfully adjusted their policy tone during the Politburo meeting this past July. They have recognized, for instance, that the property market is going through what they call a drastic change in supply-demand dynamics. Importantly, they dropped any mention to the phrase that housing is for living, not for speculation. This is a phrase that was coined by President Xi back in 2017. The meeting also called to, quote-unquote, revive the capital markets, also a notable change in spirit and rhetoric versus prior meetings. So, look, they're saying the right things authorities have now slowly begun to walk the talk by delivering modestly lower interest rates and some capital market reform in in recent days. I think that given the depressed sentiment that prevails out of China, the country's post-COVID recovery today depends on the strength of policy support in coming weeks more than ever.
0: So, Alejo, it's interesting, based on what you're sharing, our audience may conclude it makes most sense to invest in U.S. assets and steer clear of emerging market assets. Would that make sense?
1: Look, Dan, I think it's always helpful to remember that the performance of any financial asset is not just a function of the reality that transpires, but it's also very much dependent on what, what's in, what's discounted into valuations of the assets that you're, you're purchasing, right? And so when you look at emerging market equities, for example, there's a lot of gloom being discounted in the asset class. One way to illustrate this is by breaking down a country's overall market value into two main pieces. Those that are, those that are more tangible for investors today and those that require investors to take somewhat of a leap of faith. The more tangible items include book value and projected earnings just one year out. Those that require investors to, quote-unquote, hope and dream, take a leap of faith, are earnings expectations more than one year out. And so when you look at this last component, the hopes and dreams or leap of faith component for the S&P 500, This stands well above the 75th percentile of the last decade, so there's a lot of hope already being discounted in U.S. equities, uh, being expected, right? So, for you to have a good performance, you need to go, you need to see actual deliverables that go above and beyond these high expectations. On the other hand, investors place very few hopes on China, very few hopes on Latin America, where this metric that I'm referring to stands below the 25th percentile of the last 10 years. So, when you take not only what will likely transpire, but what's priced in into account, we conclude that emerging market equities are relatively attractive. We rate them as most preferred in our global portfolios, in part because we think there's a good chance the economic and earnings picture in many of these markets will turn out better than discounted. In China, as I highlighted earlier, I think stimulus measures can help stabilize sentiment in Brazil and Chile. For instance, uh, these are countries that kicked off monetary easing cycles ahead of the rest of the world. Historically, an easing cycle in these countries has been supportive of domestic stocks. And I think in Chile, in Brazil, we're seeing fairly contained levels of political risk. Finally, I'd highlight another country that we like, India. There, we have favorable demographics, high investment ratios, and a comprehensive series of reforms that offer pretty attractive GDP growth outlook and earnings growth potential in, in our view. Um, once again, not only uh, what is likely to transpire matters, what's discounted matters, and for that reason, this month we decided to downgrade emerging market U.S. dollar bonds to neutral from most preferred. The reason is that uh, we've seen quite a bit of spread, compression, I'm talking about the spread of the asset class over U.S. Treasuries. Uh, it came down pretty meaningfully over the last three months, driven by low-rated issuers. And now, valuations are looking more fair, and you've got to be increasing, increasingly selective in this context. We continue to find value in, for instance, dollar sovereign bonds from countries like Colombia and Argentina, Local currency bonds in countries from Brazil, Mexico, dollar bonds issue, issued by a range of Latin American corporates. Um, so down to, to your question, right? I mean it's tempting to conclude that you know you should concentrate your bets in, in the U.S. because the economic outlook so far this year has been more constructive. But once again, how much of this is discounted? Is a question that, you know, uh, matters as much as, as, you know, what the actual economic outlook is.
0: Well, Alejo, very helpful clarity when it comes to geographic diversification, positioning, and thank you for explaining to us the recent changes, the rationale for them. A lot of considerations when it comes to positioning. Before we wrap up, I do want to revisit the BRICS summit. As I mentioned, very timely that we're speaking as the summit is taking place as we speak. What should our listeners be mindful of here? I understand that the summit is making a lot of headlines.
1: Definitely, Dan. Let's take a step back. The BRICS acronym is about to turn 22 years old. This term was supposed to capture the economic potential of Brazil, Russia, India, and China at the turn of the century. South Africa was added to the group a few years later. This turned out to be a catchy war play that was a hit in the financial press and I think influenced the perception of emerging markets for a generation of investors. We've studied this group of countries in death. And I think that it's fair to conclude that their economic development track record is mixed since the creation of the acronym. All four or five countries did a great job at addressing extreme poverty. But while China and India have grown tremendously, um, Russia, Brazil, and South Africa did not quite live up to expectations. On the geopolitical front, I think it's undeniable that the importance of all these countries has grown. China, India, and Russia, they have all meaningfully climbed the global ranks of military spending, for instance. Now, I think we also need to recognize that the, rise, the increasing geopolitical influence of the BRIC countries has come almost exclusively as a result of unilateral initiatives. There's been very little to show in terms of collaborative efforts among them. Now, let me bring it down to what's happening this week. We've got the annual BRICS summit taking place in South Africa. Uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa sitting down to discuss collaborative initiatives. I think the, the uh, headline-grabbing a conclusion of this is that they've decided to invite a number of countries to join the BRICS. These were Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE. I think this is largely a symbolic move. I do not think this has much economic or financial market impact for now. There's been a lot of debate, and we've talked about this in this podcast, about uh, the intention by these countries to move away from the U.S. dollar as global reserve and trading currency. Our view is that this will be very difficult to pull off. There's no credible alternative to the U.S. dollar in terms of liquidity of the currency. That's of derivative markets to hedge exposures, among other reasons. So, look, these efforts will continue. We will likely move towards a more diversified global currency environment, but I think the dollar will remain at the center of, of this. More broadly, we're seeing a... Reshuffling of the global geopolitical map. We're no longer in a unipolar world. We're solidly in a multipolar world. Um, and you've got this geopolitical swing, countries, right, that are willing to be more assertive, uh, willing to be more flexible. Uh, we cannot uh, conclude that the outlook is black and white, you know, China and the U.S. Um, also inspiring inspiring the title of our monthly emer- emerging market re- re- uh, report, emerging markets will remain in between the U.S. and China, right? And so that's important to recognize.
0: Really is interesting context hearing about these recent developments with the BRICS. It's hard to believe the BRICS have been around for over two decades, quite a lot of evolution during that span, and we'll keep an eye on how it all progresses from here, though Alejo, thank you for dropping by Top of the Morning to keep our listeners, our clients informed on CIO's thinking when it comes to the emerging markets, and do look forward to picking back up again with our conversation again
1: next month. It's always great to be here, Dan. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Alejo. Again, today we have been joined by Alejo Zerwanka, the Chief Investment Officer for Emerging Markets Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As we have been referencing throughout our conversation this morning, the latest Investing in Emerging Markets flagship publication titled In Between the U.S. and China is now available up on UBS.com slash CIO. For clients of UBS, please be sure to reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Investing in Emerging Markets flagship publication directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.